and you guys did get to see what I'm talking about. What's in your hand? Okay? And this scripture is taken from Exodus 4 verse 2. So you know Exodus is Moses and the children of Israel exiting out of Egypt into the promised land. That's the whole story of Exodus. So we're talking about what's in your hand. These words, what's in your hand, are words that the Lord spoke to Moses in that verse. Exodus chapter 4 verse 2. What's in your hand? And there's a question mark at the end of that. And I hope I provoke you to ask yourself, what's in your hand? Okay? Just ask your neighbor, what's in your hand? Okay? And if they're looking at Facebook on their phone, just tell them it's not what I had in mind. Okay? Okay. Or they're playing games on their phone. Um, this is quite a profound question that the Lord poses to Moses in Exodus. And we're going we're gonna to look at the context of it. But I want to just rewind the context of this message. Is two weeks ago, I spoke a message about the call of Jeremiah. Looking at how God called Jeremiah. And it's very significant. And I've been amazed. I mentioned at pre-service prayer how many people are really wrestling with the call of God in their lives. And it's, it's interesting, you know, it's, I don't believe it's just something that we need to do, you know, kind of when we're young and we're trying to figure out a vocation, etc. You know, the enemy hates it when you walk with a sense of calling, a sense of purpose, a sense of this is God's plan for my life. He hates it. He wants you to be unsettled, dissatisfied, etc. And so I believe it's a key way that the enemy attacks you and I, is he attacks the call of God on your lives. He attacks the purpose of God for your life. He wants you to doubt the call of God. He wants to doubt where you are, what you're doing, uh, etc. So many aspects of your life. And so I want to submit to you, it's spiritual warfare to believe God and to walk and to be faithful and to be true to the call of God upon your lives. The enemy hates it. And God, it, it's so important walking with a sense of purpose. Remember a couple of years ago, Rick Warren wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. It sold something over 26 million copies after the Bible. It's the second best-selling book in the history of mankind. Why? Because people are looking for purpose. Amen? God gives it to you. The call of God is not just for the select few. The call of God is for every single believer. He wants you to know, this is my world. This is my path. You are where I want you to be. Amen? I want to say this about God's calling though. You know, it's... We often don't know where exactly we're going to be in 10 years from now. Okay, the, the rare exception you are, you've figured it all out. But the thing about the call of God, He shows you enough so that you can walk true and full of faith and wholehearted today and tomorrow and the next day. I don't know about 10 years from now. It's like when you drive home at night with a car. Your car's lights don't shine all the way from here to wherever, Presbury, if you stay in Presbury. Your car's lights shine far enough ahead of you that you can get to your destination without making an accident with, and, and getting there safely and soundly. Amen? And that is the, an aspect of the call of God. I want to say there is the bigger picture in terms of you know where you're going generally, but you don't know the details of how exactly you're going to get there, and that's 
that's okay. And that's just principles of the call of God. But I want to say this also about the call of God. Is you have the specific call of God and you have the general call of God. The specific call of God is I love children. And I've always been drawn to input into children. And I want to go into education. And I have such a sense of that's where God wants to use me. In education one day. That's a sense of calling. Amen. And there are many ways God can work with you in revealing that that is the journey and the path He has for you. But the specific call must never undermine or be more or greater than the general call of God on every single believer. We are all called, for example, to glorify God with our lives in everything we do. And if your specific call in you going after becoming a teacher and now in the class, whatever things happen and you getting really nasty to some kids, etc. Folks, hey, you've got to honor God and glorify God in everything you do. Okay. And so you just got to reevaluate things. I spoke about narcissism a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know when. You know, narcissism is where you're obsessed with yourself. You know, you can be narcissistic about your call and your mission and your motivation. I believe in focus. Be focused. But don't let that undermine the general call of God to glorify God. To make disciples. We're all meant to make disciples. Amen. Some of us are meant to train others to make disciples. Okay. I recognize that. Okay. It's my job. We all meant to preach the gospel like Walter does. But then you get evangelists that do that and train others to preach the gospel as well. Amen. We are all called to servanthood. Amen. You know, one of the frustrations. Now, I totally get we need to stay in our lane. Whether it's in the workplace, wherever, at home. We need to stay in our lane. We need to know our roles. But that doesn't mean that we see the big picture. And sometimes we, we are helping others in other spaces. I mean, after Women's Day, by the way, ladies, did you enjoy that? And have you listened to the videos that we uploaded last week? I think it was Wednesday. And have you sent it to your friends? I mean, that was so good. That Q&A session, the whole world needs to lead, hear that stuff. I hope you've shared it with at least five friends. It is brilliant. Guys, you need to listen to it. I mean, I was just like, wow, God, it really ministered to me. So it's all on our social media platforms. But I want to say this, you know, after Women's Day, Ladies did a good job of tidying up and cleaning up and everything. But there was a pile of tables. All the tables that are usually in the store down here were packed over here. Now, I could have thought, you know, it's not my calling to pack away tables. You know, Uncle Walter's calling is to pack away tables. No, it's not his calling. He's got a heart to serve. Amen. And I was here and the store was open. And you know what? I came and I took the tables and I put the way I could have said to Baboe, you know, this is Uncle Walter's ministry. No, 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 no. He's got a heart to serve. I put them away. It's not in my job description. But I'm thinking I have ownership of this whole church. Amen. And so please let us not let your individual calling say, I don't pack away tables, Pastor. <gasps> I am on the encounter team. I pray for people to encounter God. You know, tables are belowth me. Okay. No, no, no. You, your specific call must never undermine. And the, 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 you open your Bible and start reading. It's all applicable to all of us, the general call of God. Amen? And if your specific call doesn't align with the general call, well, reevaluate your specific call. Okay. Just wanted to say that. I feel better that that's out of my system now. Could you feel that I needed to get that out of my system? Okay. There we go. Now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go well from now on. I can tell you. Okay. So what are we looking at? What's in your hand? Here's the verse. 
Just the context of it. Exodus 4, 1 to 3. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? What's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Now, folks, Moses, the call of God, it's the burning bush. Okay, and we're going to look at the scripture a little while before. I'm just going to build up towards it. We're looking at the burning bush where God calls Moses. And Moses is full of insecurities and doubts about his abilities to do what God's calling to do. To lead this nation out of Egypt into the promised land. That's what he was called to do. Full of fears and doubts. So I just want to tell you, if your sense of calling fills you with fear and doubts, just welcome to the club, okay? There's often, I've often heard it says, the sense of calling on your life often is meant to, if it's from God, you look at what God's called you to do and there's a sense of, sure God, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. Because you're not actually meant to do it in your own strength. You're meant to do it with total trust and dependence on Him. So when you do it, you don't become big-headed and full of yourself and arrogant. But you can honor God and glorify Him saying, look what I did with God. Amen? And so if you are rather intimidated by your calling. I mean, shucks. You know, I remember, let me tell you. I know I'm called to be married to Jenny. That's not the machine down there. Okay? That's the beautiful woman. That I get to sleep with every night of my life. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. There was a time where I was totally intimidated by the thought of, my goodness, God, you want me to marry Jenny? Oh my God, Lord, she's so amazing. She is so spiritual. She is like, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. There was a time that I was intimidated just by the thought of, this is the girl that God has for me, okay? Now I'm quite comfortable in that calling. I still need God's grace to stay married to her because she's still amazing, amen? And she's still very spiritual, amen? And sometimes I feel very unspiritual compared to her, but she's my wife, and I know I'm called to be the prophet, priest, and king in our home, amen? And so it's okay that you feel inadequate, Look at how God deals with Moses. He actually, he doesn't fob off this thing about this doubt. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? It said, the Lord says, and he says, what's in your hand? So what happens here, the Lord said, throw his staff, his stick. Remember, he was a shepherd for the, the last 40 years. He's been in the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And he has a staff. The staff is a key tool for the shepherd. When we did the Lord's prayer, uh, not the Lord's prayer, the the. the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, prayer, Psalm 23. We looked at the rod and the staff, the symbolism, the significance of all of that. So it's all online. Go listen to it. I'm not going to unpack the significance of a shepherd's staff again. But it was a significant thing in his life. But it's just a wooden stick. That's what it was. It's a wooden stick. And what happens? He throws it to the ground. And as he throws it to the ground, his staff turns into a snake. Now the significant thing about that is that was a miracle that God was calling him to do in front of Pharaoh. And why a snake? Because one of the deities, one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped was a snake. In many of their carvings and, and pictures they drew, they had these snakes, etc. It was a deity, one of their gods. And so God was literally showing how much power he had over the snake. Okay, I know in some people's lives it's like, that, that means a lot more to me. Okay. But what is in your hand? If we go to the next slide, I want to look at the Bible 
in a number of places where what people had seemed insignificant. But God used the insignificant to make breakthrough, make miracle, bring provision, etc. How about these examples? Can you think of in the Bible, okay, I've mentioned the staff example. Five loaves and two fish. Remember that story? A cloth, a coin, a stone, a jawbone, or a shadow. <laughs> How many of you are like, I can think of that Bible story. I can think. And if we have a competition, who can think and who can tell me? We're not doing that right now, okay? A cloth in the book of Acts. The, the disciples would lay hands on pieces of cloth and people would take it and lay hands on the sick and they would be healed. I'm in a cloth. Folks, you say, I don't have much. Well, do you have a cloth? Okay? And you have God and you have faith. Lay hands on the cloth and look what God does. A coin. The widow who gave a coin into the offering basket. Jesus watched it. Today, all around the world, the story is told. About the significance of one coin. A stone. David used one stone to kill Goliath. But you know the story. He collected five. You know why they reckon he collected five? <laughs> In case he missed. <laughs> number five is the number of grace. Well... One, one Bible teacher said, remember, Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> Goliath had four brothers, that's why he had five stones. But he only needed one stone for Goliath. You kind of think a stone, what can God do with a stone? God can bring victory with one stone. A jawbone. Where's that in the Bible? Samson, yes. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. A jawbone, a bone of a dead donkey? Huh? Yes, God can use insignificant things. How about the insignificant things in your life? You say, my background is insignificant. You know, I was conceived, let's not even talk about how I was conceived. Please, Pastor, I don't want to think about it now. Did you really have to bring that up right now? Okay, my insignificance is below the level of insignificance. There must be a word lower than insignificance to describe my conception. God says, I love that. Bring me your cloth. Bring me your bone bring me your coin bring me your how about a shadow the disciples bible says literally when they walk past people their shadow touched them they got healed how many of you say <laughs> what's a shadow if it was a sunny day we all have a shadow god can use that you think it's insignificant you say i don't have much god doesn't need much you bring your little, you bring your mustard seed with God. Boom! You have miracles. You have multiplication. Let's go on. We're going to read this, this scripture just in, in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 29. This is a church that was powerfully flowing in miracle signs and wonders. And, and the Apostle Paul writes to this church and he says, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I love that. I love the fact that you are saying, God, I sense a call, but I feel so inadequate. You know, 
the, the, the end result of that is that you will bring glory to God and God will get the maximum glory from your life because you're not going to take the credit for yourself. You're not going to say, I'm so amazing. Look at my gifting. Look at my ability. Look at my brain power, etc. You're going to give glory to God. It's beautiful. And look at these things. Foolish things, okay? Not influential. Um, you know, lowly things. Despised things. Folks, if that's how you feel about your gifts, your abilities, your background, your, your, your history, how about that? <laughs> you don't want to know the path I've walked to get here. I shouldn't be in church. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the dark places the enemy dragged me into. I actually have no right to be in church. And being at a prayer meeting, you must be crazy. I don't have any right to go to a prayer meeting. Yo, but what about Jesus? Folks, you have every right to enter the presence of God because of Jesus. It's Jesus that gives you the right to be here, to speak, to prophesy, to share testimonies as Walter did. Folks, God loves it. And I believe it's so amazing. If you look at the call of God in your life, you look at ha, what's in my hand, and you feel, God, hang on, this is not enough. But what God does is He shows Moses, no, you have something. Folks, you have more than you think. But I want to I share this story. It was so fascinating. A couple of years ago, Chris Vallotton, he's a pastor at Bethel Church in America. And he went through a major bout of depression in 2008. Um, major bout of depression. He apparently, he like, spent six months on the couch. He literally couldn't get out of the couch, couldn't do anything. And um, he was, you know, the, the sort of 2IC in the church. He was the associate pastor. And he said this about that low spot in his life. He said he struggled to think about anything positive in his life or life full stop. He said he was, for example, struggling to think about a single miracle that he'd seen God do in his life. Now, in 2008, he had started the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, training people to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Training people to pray for the sick and prophesy, etc. He'd seen hundreds. He said in that time, the dark space, under that cloud of demonic oppression, he couldn't think of a single miracle. He'd prayed for hundreds. He'd prayed for people to pray for miracles. He couldn't think. Folks, that is sometimes the level of demonic oppression we can come under. That you cannot see what's in your hand. You kind of think, I have nothing. Folks, recognize that's a demonic onslaught against your life. There are times we go through that. There are times you can't think of a, thing, a single thing to give thanks for. Recognize that's the enemy. It's not true. It's a lie. It was a cloud over him. And anywhere, he'd gone for counseling everywhere. And, and in the end, somebody said he, he's just, his physical body was so drained, he had no energy in his body. And somebody said to him, I don't even know, he didn't say in his, in his test me, said, have you tested the various... Um, uh, what do you, what do you, uh, uh, things in your body, like for example, te your testosterone levels. And he hadn't, he'd been to a, a checkup, but they hadn't tested that. He went and they mentioned, have you tested this? And one of them was testosterone. They tested it. For some reason, I don't know why, his testosterone levels were way low. He went on medication. Within two weeks, he was up and out and out of bed and feeling totally normal. I want to just highlight two things there. How the, it was a physical thing, but the enemy came with a demonic oppression against his mind that he couldn't think of a single miracle he'd ever seen in his life. I mean, it's, we look at that and folks, let's learn. Sometimes I, I experience it's like, ooh, I'm just struggling to think about anything positive like right now. Anybody been there? Okay. 
me and Klingi. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Folks, it's, it's a demonic attack we are going. I want to highlight what's in your hand. You have more in your hand than you think. Okay. So let's go on. Exodus, the Exodus story. The burning bush experience. These lessons we can learn. We looked at Jeremiah's call two weeks ago. And last week it was Amu preaching up a storm. Didn't you enjoy Amu's word last week? Guys, you've got to do a bit better than that. Did you enjoy Amu's word last week? Come on. Please, we need... Do you know the last time Amu brought the word was in August? That's more than a year ago. Okay? She feels like it was like two months ago, but I checked on the calendar. It was August, Lord. We need a lot more amen so that Amu is up here, not, you know, in 2025 again. Okay? So please encourage her. If that word ministered to you, I was just... I was so... I wasn't here last week, but I edited the video. So I saw it more than you did. Okay? <laughs> when you're editing a video, fast forward back, uh, you know, etc. But I spoke about the call of Jeremiah. This is the call of Moses. There's so many lessons we can learn. If you're wrestling with the call of God or the call of God in your life is under attack, sometimes we need to revisit the call of God on our lives. Remember how, when, what God spoke to you. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It was the same mountain where God gave them the Ten Commandments. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Folks, there are times that you have a God encounter and there's just a reverence that this is God. I have... I have I often just felt, I've got to take my shoes off, that this is a burning bush experience, that God is in the house, God is here, and I just need to be still and be quiet. There are times in the presence of God you want to talk, and there's times that you just want to keep quiet and listen. And the, Lord's, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Folks, I want you to know the heart of God for His people. Amen? I want you to know the heart of God for His people. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> I love that part. I wish there was a full stop right there. But the Bible says the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites and Parasites. Oh, 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 God, how come my promised land is full of parasites? <laughs> Folks, the, the, your metron, the place God's called you to, the enemy isn't staying away from that space. And thinking, oh, I can't wait for Zanelli to come and claim her promised land. He's saying, you're not going to get your land. Your children, I'm going to claim them. I don't care if you're the mother of your children. 
I'm going to seduce them and tempt them and lead them astray. You have got to enter into your promised land. If you're a mother, let me tell you, your children is your metron. You have spiritual authority to pray and intercede for your children like nobody else. Your prayers for your children are significant. Don't stop praying for your children. Amen? If that's your metron. There are all kinds of ites. In this beautiful land, the God describes it as a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen? It's beautiful. God has called us to enter. And every one of you, there's land God is calling you to occupy. There's God is calling you to take. Amen? It could be in your family, in your workspace, amen, on your campus, in your city, where, where, with, with work colleagues, with friends, with family, folks. There's kingdom to come in those spaces. Amen? Exercise your spiritual authority in those places. The, the, the read on. The cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 10. So now go. Folks, the call of God will always involve this little word go. There's places for you to go and occupy. Amen. That you are uniquely called to go into. Sitting back on your gluteus maximus, okay, is not, does not involve going. There's a time to wait and be still, but there's a time to put on your war boots and get into the battlefield and occupy the land. Amen. Amen. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Can you see his objections? <laughs> I like Moses. You know, we see the end story and Moses is leading these people and, you know, calling fire down from heaven. And I mean, he's, he's grand and glorious. He didn't start there, folks. He started full of insecurities, just like so many of us. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Oh, Lord. The first thing God says, I'll be with you. What? Is it about the presence of God that just nullifies so many of our objections? You feel you can't go, but God is with you. So, I remember, remember the story I've often mentioned. This lady comes to the pastor and she's like, Oh, pastor, you know, I'm all alone. Ah, la, la. Uh, well, she, she, no, she didn't say I'm all alone. She said, Pastor, you know, I don't have anybody except God. <laughs> Folks, that's amazing. You've got some amazing revelation there. If you kind of think, well, all I have is God. Folks, that's amazing. I love the fact that God promises presence as the first thing that should, give, should fill us with amazing confidence and, 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 a, and a sense of faith and security. Why can you go into your metron? Because God is with you. Amen. And remember the aspect of calling. I often mention this. You know the difference between being called and sent? You know, we as the church, we send people. Google, we're praying for her to go on the mission. We're sending her. God doesn't send you. He calls you. You know the thing about a call, if you're calling somebody, that means you are already in the place you're calling them to. You, you call somebody. I won't go, I won't go. Come here, come here. You know, I'm calling I want him to come where I am. Folks, the place God's calling you to, he's already there. And he's with you on the journey to get there. Amen? I will be with you. I will be with you. Just remind your neighbor, say, he's with you. 
And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Speaking about Mount Horeb, when the, where, the, where the Ten Commandments were given, etc. Okay. Now what I want to highlight is just instant instances in Moses' life where God actually used the staff. Um, let me just check. Um, yeah. There are, I mean, I counting here, I think it's eight different times where God actually used his staff to bring a mighty miracle in, 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 in the lives of, of this Exodus story. Here they are. With a staff, Moses struck the Nile and he turned to blood. And there's the scripture reference, Exodus 7. He, with a staff, he stretched his staff over the Nile and brought a plague of frogs. He struck the dust with his staff and turned it into gnats. He stretched his staff towards heaven to bring down fire, thunder, and hail in Exodus 9. He stretched his staff and brought a plague of locusts, Exodus 10. He divided the Red Sea by stretching his staff in Exodus 14. He struck a rock with his staff and got water gushing out of the rock in Exodus 17. He held it high in the air so his warriors would win in battle in Exodus 17. Just with a wooden stick. With a wooden stick. I was surprised when I researched how much God actually used the staff to bring miracles. What is in your hand? You look at what's in your hand, what's in your life, what do I have, and you think it's insignificant. Just you wait, Henry Higgins, just you wait, okay? Quoting from a movie that most of you have never heard of, okay? <laughs> just you wait. God is going to use the little bit that you bring so much. I'm sure Moses had no idea that this wooden stick would make such a difference. And I mean, those are significant miracles that happened. Just with a wooden stick, what's in your hand? God is going to use what's in your hand mightily. Okay, let's go on. I want to look at some of the things that you and I have in our hands. Folks, what I'm putting on the, on the board is something that all of us have. And let's look at them. Jesus. If you're born again, folks, you have Jesus. Remember my story about all I have is God? Folks, Jesus is significant advantage. You know, uh, I studied economics, at, uh, first year economics course, and, and one of the things you learn in economics is comparative advantage. Now, <laughs> comparison isn't always great, but what's comparative advantage in economics is there are certain regions of the world that are better at producing certain agricultural products, for example. South Africa, we have a comparative advantage, for example, in the mineral deposits we have in our ground. Okay, And so let's use that compared to other countries. I mean, for many years, we produced vast amounts of gold compared to the rest of the world. I, I forget the numbers, but it's something like the world's gold that is, has come out of the ground. Of the, the, the gold in the world, something 70% of the world's gold that has been mined in, the last, in, in human history. Something like... 70% of it has come out of the South Africa, out of our gold mines. I mean, huge comparative advantage. And it's true in agriculture. It's true in, in skills and etc. So, I want to say to you, Jesus is a serious comparative advantage for you and me. Okay? You're going to an interview. You're applying for a, a, a whatever. A, you're applying for a passport. You are... Uh, 
applying to register for a course, etc. Folks, you have Jesus on your side. Do you know what an advantage that is? What's in your hand? You have Jesus. I mean, I could honestly just draw a line into that and say, guys, what's your problem? Go change the world. You've got Jesus on your side. But there is more. Callings. We're talking about this. Folks, calling is a significant weapon in your arsenal. Skills. Many of us have different skills. Some of us are good with numbers. Some of us are good with our hands. Some of us are good with baking and cooking and things like that. Folks, that's from God. Look what's in your hand. When last did you do a skills audit of your own life? Write down what are your skills. Talents. Okay, that's God-given abilities. Qualifications and education. You know, I remember my mom often used to say to us when, <laughs> you know, there was a time that I wasn't always that motivated to study for exams. I know it's never happened to you, but me personally, sometimes I struggled with motivation to study for exams. My mom often used to say to me, said, remember, they can never take away your qualifications from you. They can never take it away from you. Your qualifications are yours. You know, I was thinking recently, I was thinking, my mom said they can never take your qualification. Who is this they that she was referring to in the first place? I was like, I never thought about that. But I was like, but, I mean, you know, listen, yeah, nasty things can happen in life. Okay. Ideas. Folks, ideas are powerful. Don't limit God in terms of ideas. Don't limit God in terms of ideas. How about significant relationships? There are some people God has connected you with for a purpose, for a reason. What's in your hand? I have some significant relationships. You know, my second daughter, Heidi, uh, at my dad's funeral, one of my dad's best friends was there and he was talking to Heidi. Heidi was in matric and asked her, what does she want to study? And Heidi said she wants to study accountancy. Now, accountancy <laughs> is one of those courses, you know, when you look at fees that you need to pay to a university, you know, accountancy is right up there, you know, it's like 50, 60,000 rand a year worth of fees, you know, and, you know, we don't quite qualify for NSFAS, praise, praise God for NSFAS, um, and we looked at those fees, and at my dad's funeral, my dad's one of my dad's best friends, who was a qualified accountant, said, please speak to me. I know a trust that gives bursaries to students who want to study accountancy. Speak to me. Significant relationships. Fast forward six months later, Heidi got a 50% scholarship through this significant relationship. Don't underestimate significant relationships. They usually only give bursaries for undergrad but Heidi's to become an accountant you need to do your honors and we applied and they said listen we don't give bursaries for honors but we'll make an exception for you Heidi got for honors significant relationships amen I don't know who those significant relationships are you but folks what's in your hand they're significant relationships and there may be significant relationships coming down the road for you. See them, recognize them. That doesn't mean you manipulate people. And you don't just see, you know, look at somebody and you see like a Rand sign. Please, we don't look at people like that. Amen. Who knows what doors some people could open for you. Experience. Your experience, folks. What's in your hand? You have life experience. The University of Life. Opportunities. 
I love the saying about an opportunity, an opportunity of a lifetime. You need to seize the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. Notice this is an opportunity. I remember the day Stella sent me that message on one of our prayer groups about this house in Scottsville that was for sale. It was just when we were getting used to WhatsApp and, and Stella uh, messaged me. I immediately said to Stella, uh, thanks Stella, I'll, I'll call you about it. <laughs> Folks, I recognized that that was a significant opportunity for us as a family. That the, the finances from that house, the transfer and everything, went through literally the month my firstborn daughter went to university. And the rent from that house went, thank you very much, straight down to Stellenbosch to pay for her fees. Praise God for that opportunity. Faith, a word from God. Folks, don't underestimate the word that you have from God. Spiritual gifts. Folks, we do courses on spiritual gifts. It is significant. I want to put up what Max Locato said. God made one version of you. You're it. You're the only you there is. And if we don't get you, we don't get you. You're the only shot we have at you. You can do something no one else can do, and in a way that no one else can do it. You are more than a coincidence of DNA. You are uniquely created. But can you be anything you want to be? If you are uniquely made, now think about this. If you're uniquely made, can you really be anything you want to be? If you are not good with numbers, can you really become a top accountant? If you don't have a love for children, can you really be a satisfied teacher? Can you be anything you want to be? I don't think so. But can you be everything God wants you to be? I do think so. And you do become that by discovering your uniqueness. By discovering your uniqueness. Folks, we're talking about calling here. We're talking about what's in your hand. You know, what's in your hand is different to what I have in my hand. And your neighbor has in their hand. Romans 11 verse 29 says, For God's giftings and His call are irrevocable. You know irrevocable? He doesn't change. He cannot take back your sense of what God's called you to do. You know God's not going to change His mind about that? The enemy would love to let you think about that. What you heard from God in your 20s, now in your 30s or 40s, somehow it doesn't apply. Folks, God doesn't, it's irrevocable. He doesn't revoke it. He doesn't take it back. I love what the Amplified says when it, it amplifies it. He never withdraws them when once they are given. And he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives. His grace or to whom he sends his call. Folks, he doesn't change his mind. This we need to remind the enemy about when he comes knocking on your door and says, <coughs> you know, about that thing you thought you heard God was saying. Just remind him. My Bible says that God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. He doesn't take you back. So just fight your good and track for error, okay? That means get out of there, okay? Comparison is a killer. 
You know what I've found? The biggest thing in me walking in my calling is comparison. So um, once a month, we actually have a pastor's fraternal. And <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful chatting to the other guys. But there's always some time in the meeting where we go around and we say, you know, what's happening in your church? And folks, there are amazing churches doing amazing things. You know, I listen there, I go around the circle, you know, and Jen and I are sitting there, and we kind of, you know, I say to Jen, <laughs> you know, as we go around, honey, we're not doing enough, you know. <laughs> These guys are changing the world. What are we doing with ourselves, you know? I'm giving an example of a moment where I struggle with comparison, you know. And I, we've got to be true that no, this is what God's called us to be, and we're going to be faithful and true what, with what He's called us to do. But comparison is a killer. Listen to p what Penny de Villiers said. Oh my gosh, I never truly respected or valued my uniqueness as a human being. I never felt that I was a beautiful rose in life's garden because I spent my life comparing myself to other brightly multicolored species and they often made me think that I look dull. <laughs> Penny, I like this. I never felt that I was a beautiful rose in life's garden because I spent my life comparing myself to other brightly multicolored species of roses and they often made me think that I looked dull. Folks, that's the danger with comparison. You know, I, I, we sit in those meetings and I listen to what these other churches are doing and I'm like, oh, Jenny, you know, we need to get an act together, love. You know, no, 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 no. I am not going to compare myself to others. Brene Brown says, believe me, comparison sucks the creativity and joy right out of life. What's in your hand? Folks, just, just hold your hand like symbolically in front of you. Now I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. Do not look at the hand of the person next to you. Okay? And right now that's all you want to do. <laughs> Because what's in your hand is different to what's in the person's hand next to you. Amen? Are you okay to celebrate his giftings and callings and uh, your experiences and the God stuff in your life? Amen? What's in your hand is beautiful. Amen? Listen to what I think this is. Uh, oh, I forget who wrote this. Because you looked away from God, you forgot who you are, do you not know that what you behold, you become? You become what you look upon. When you look at the world, you can only struggle to find something to make you feel valuable. When you look to heaven, you remember your home. You remember you are not an orphan in this world. You remember you belong to your heavenly Father who loves you. And has never left you. He loved you even when you turned your eyes away from Him and ran away from Him. Return. As you behold and keep your eyes on heaven, you become what you look upon. Behold Jesus and love. I want to say, folks, sometimes we need to ask Jesus to show what's in our hand. And folks, the, the ultimate comparison of what's in our hand is we're destined to become like Jesus. So it's, Lord Jesus, show me what you've given. Sometimes it's like, Lord, I don't even want to look. Can you show me what's in my hand? 
your shape. I want to highlight this. 2020, we did a series on your shape. Okay? And Job says, your hand shaped me and made me. Shape is an acronym for looking at the amazing things that God has put in your life. It's another way to say what's in your hand. Your shape and shape. We looked at your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and why we put a shape squared, your prophetic identity and your experiences. We are wanting to roll this out more. I'm so aware that so many people are not aware of what's in their hand. And so we're actually wanting to, and we're going to speak to with our leadership team, our, um, our, our core team on Monday night, about rolling it out to our members, to our leaders, etc. I want you to know what's in your hand. Francis Frangipani said this about Thanksgiving, and I believe this is just a key. This is a key to walk in victory and to celebrate and to see what's in your hand. The very quality of your life, whether you love it or hate it, is based upon how thankful you are towards God. It is one's attitude that determines whether life unfolds into a place of blessedness or wretchedness. Indeed, looking at the same rosebush, I love it, he ties me with a rosebush, although I don't think he knows um, Penny at all. Looking at the same rosebush, some people complain that the roses have thorns, while others rejoice that some thorns come with roses. It all depends on your perspective. In your life, do you rejoice that your thorns have roses? Or do you moan <laughs> that some flowers come with thorns? This is the only life you will have before you enter eternity. If you want to find joy, you must first find thankfulness. Indeed, the one who is thankful for even a little enjoys much, but the unappreciative soul is always miserable, always complaining. He lives outside the shelter of the Most High God. Just look in the book of Exodus about the guys who grumbled and moaned. Look at the consequences. Talk about living outside of the shelter of the Most High. Just go and look at the consequences of being a grumbling, moaning, fault-finding person. It is scary to behold. Okay. What's in your hand? Folks, what's in your hand and knowing what's in your hand, remember, is a question that God put to Moses. Because he wanted to see stuff that he couldn't see at that moment. I don't know what God wants to show you about what's in your hand. A thousand things. And if we had to draw up a list and, and, and compare it, it would be so different. And I love that. That your list of what's in your hand is different to mine. Please don't put the same things on your list just to try and be like me. Please don't. Please be who God's called you to be. We're going to have communion now. We plan communion. And I want us to have communion. Communion, folks, is exactly that. It's meant to be intimacy with God. We are celebrating the bread and the wine, what Jesus bought for you. But this morning, I want you to have communion about what's in your hand. I don't know what your Heavenly Father is going to show you. Folks, the cross has unlocked so much for you and me. Part of that is for you to see what's in your hand. 
Can we have communion thanking God for the cross, for the sacrifice of the cross that has cleansed us of all the stuff that prevents us from seeing what's in our hand and walking in the fullness of what's in our hand. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.